it is good to be with you today, New Life. Well, if you don't know already, it is here, the final day of 21 days of fasting and prayer. Hey, can we give it up? We have been in this together. It's been stretching. It's been challenging for me. It feels like this has been one of those revealing fast, but I'll tell you what, we were able to do it and press into the Lord. I know a lot of prayers had been answered. I know there's been a lot of refining of the soul. And can I tell you this? Let's go eat. Can't wait to have some. Let's get some cheers for some tacos and some pizza and some Rickle Bennies. Mm, That sounds good right now. I may go get Rickle Bennies after this. Hey, It is good, and the purpose of fasting is to increase the intensity of the spiritual fire and really our desire for God. So I hope you were able to get some of that out of this time of fasting and prayer. You know, I I, I take some time to reflect as the New Year's here, and I just want you to know as your pastor, just from the bottom of my heart, I want you to know this. I am so thankful to be at New Life Community Church and to be in this role. You know, this is the church that I grew up in, This is the church, the only church I've ever known. And there's so many people here that have poured into me, that have loved me, that have prayed with me, that have uh, corrected me, that have just helped me grow spiritually. And my life would not be the same without this church. It just wouldn't. You know, Jesus has transformed me and changed me, but he has used this church to come alongside and love me into the potential that God has called me. So I am so honored. Every day I think, Lord Jesus, thank you, because you know, I'm, I'm just just so thankful, God, and honored to be in this role, and I know it's all from your hands. So God is doing some cool things. Hey, in this season, as I'm reflecting just on this past year, you know, God is really moving in a unique way. I was taking a look at and reflecting at some of the impact that we were able to make in 2023. I want to bring a few things to your attention because God is, is doing some stuff. I don't know if you knew this, but this was our second Uh, uh, the second most baptisms this year that we've ever had in New Life's history, 440 baptisms. Can we give it up for that? 440 souls that gave their uh, lives over to Jesus and took that step of obedience. The other thing that really marked this year impact-wise with the gospel is our Easter outreach. We saw the most people ever in 37-year history at our Easter weekend outreach. We reached more than 12,000 people. They were able to hear the gospel and tons of people across New Life who came that are our friends and our neighbors, coworkers, gave their life to Jesus. And I was just so thankful for that impact. And I also look at what God's doing in the impact that we're able to do in our communities. Month after month, we're ministering to tens of thousands of individuals, uh, migrants, uh, two of those key areas, migrants, and in food distribution. It really has been a beautiful thing for us to not only love our Lord, but for us to love our neighbor. And so I'm so proud to be a part of this church, and I see what God is doing. Uh, We've been talking about this for a few years, but we believe that we're on the early stages right now of a great once-in-a-generation harvest that is just around the corner. And so we're really trying to rally and uh, get ready as a church for whenever that season comes, and even what we're experiencing now, to move into our best, most fruitful, most impactful, most on fire years for Jesus that we've ever had in New Life's history. But I want to make you aware of this. 
God is doing some amazing things. We, we're seeing a breakthroughs. We're seeing marriages transformed. We're seeing youth come to Jesus. We're seeing lives changed. But I want you to know there's a problem, that there's a danger. There's one thing that's holding us back from seeing even more. Jesus talks about it in Luke chapter 10. This is what he says about harvest. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but here's the problem. But the workers are few. Can I tell you, the church has wrestled uh, far before New Life ha had its name and started on 44th and Polina. The church has wrestled with this reality that God is saying, there is a harvest out there that I want my church to be a part of. But part of the difficulty in experiencing and being able to see all that fruit is there's not enough people who are willing to say, God, use me. And so that's what I want to talk to us today about. I want to talk to us about the problem with the harvest is not really fruitfulness, but it's faithfulness. And so our church in response to that to say, hey, could we be a church, New Life, that defies the odds? Could we be a church that doesn't have 20% doing the 80? Could we be a church that really rises up to break stereotypes and standards that have been set, that there's just a few, and really mobilize to see all of the giftings, all of the, uh, the, the called people, all of us say, God, I'm, I'm going to get involved. I want to be used. I don't want to just see other people be used, God, but I know you've given me things, God, and I want you to use my life for your kingdom. Our church is jumping into a series and more importantly, a campaign over the next year called All Hands on Deck. I love this idea of all hands on deck. We see it, all hands on deck means that in a situation, we need every available person uh, to be called on to assist with the task at hand. It comes from uh, really sailors who were on boats that when they would go through unusual times or storms, that they would say, all hands on deck, all hands on deck. And everybody that was below that maybe was not involved or sleeping or doing something else comes up to the, the top of the boat to get ready to do their part to make sure that this group of people can get to the place that they need to be at. That's what I'm trying to mobilize our church. I see what we're, the unusual openness right now, and I believe it's only going to intensify. And I want to be a part of it. I want us to be able to make such a big difference, not for our name, no, but for King Jesus, that our lives would make a difference and that in heaven, we'd be able to look back and tell stories about how God used us. We were, maybe we weren't being used to the full degree, but we said, God, how can you use us? And God said, as you put your hands out, available for me to use, watch what I can do with your life. I want to bring us to a story, a passage in Luke chapter 9, where Jesus really talks to us about this, about us being all hands on deck, being fully committed to him, and three things that really embody that, uh, three things that we need to embrace to be fully committed and ready to be used for what God has for us, for this church in our future. I want to give credit as well because I studied a lot this passage, but I felt like, man, good old Chuck Swindoll. I felt like he's got his points, his language here. I felt like I can't come up with something better than that. So I want to give credit to him because he really honed language that I feel like encapsulates the idea that Jesus was trying to communicate through these few verses. Join me in Luke chapter 9, verse 57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you 
wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. If you're taking your notes this morning, you want to write this down, that we need to have unreserved sacrifice, unreserved sacrifice, if we're going to be ready for what God has next for us. You know, Jesus here is walking on this road, going village to village, meeting people, and we know that right before him is Jerusalem. The verses right before this tell us that he is uh, on the road to Jerusalem and that it uses this language that he's focused or dialed in on the task that is before him. He knows that he has just a short bit of time before he has to go to the cross and feel the wrath of God and pay for the sins of all mankind. He knows that his time is coming to an end. And as he's on the road, you know, Jesus is becoming quite popular. He goes to a village and there's crowds. He goes to a village and he's doing miracles. He goes to a village and preaches with authority that people had really never seen before. And so people flocked to him and wanted to be around his ministry far more than just the 12 disciples. He had crowds Large crowds that would follow him that were drawn to see what is this Jesus guy all about. And so, of course, as he's going from place to place, there's people that uh, would come and say, Jesus, I want to be a follower of yours. And that's what we see here in this passage. Now, in Luke, it tells us that there's a man that comes up to him that says, I want to follow you wherever you go. And that right there is, a, you know, he, he wants to be committed. He, this guy's loyal. He's ready to jump in. He seems eager. And we know from Matthew chapter 8, one of the other accounts of this, that this man was actually a scribe. He was a religious expert that wanted to join the entourage of Jesus. But Jesus saw a problem. This scribe, as he saw Jesus with the crowds and saw Jesus' miracles and saw that Jesus was gaining recognition and notoriety, when Jesus, when this man saw that, he, I, I believe that he started to ask himself, what can I get from following Jesus? Like, what's the trickle-down effect that would have been in that day of following a, a, a renowned rabbi? What's the effects of position or the benefits of recognition or reward and power that I can get if I'm close to following Jesus? Let me tell you this. Jesus sniffed that out. He, he, he sensed that this on the outside, he was saying the right words, this man, but on the inside, he wasn't yet ready to fully commit to following Jesus with all of his heart. He, he wasn't really ready to give that unreserved sacrifice to Jesus. And so as this man came to Jesus, knowledgeable of the word, Jesus tells him in response, hey, listen, fox have dens, birds have nests. But the Son of Man, me, it's a Daniel reference term there, has no place to lay his head. What Jesus was saying is, to follow me, you need to embrace a life of discomfort. To follow me, things are not going to just come easy. To follow me, there will be hardship and persecution and trials. It won't just be all sunshine and rainbows to follow me. No, it's going to require uh, days and seasons that are uncomfortable and stretching. It's, it's not just all crowds. It's not just all miracles. It's not just all uh, uh, just authority of the word. There's, there's moments that are going to be not glamorous, 
but are going to be challenging and hard. Jesus wanted not to just talk about the glamorous things, but he wanted to speak with candor to this man. And Jesus points to foxes and birds, kind of funny. He's basically saying, hey, even the animals have it better than me. (laughs) Even the animals, even a fox has more comfort than me. And a bird, at least a bird's got a nest. It's like, I don't even have have a pillow. I I don't even have a place to lay my head. Jesus is trying to point to even even animals, even, even the creature has more comfort than the creator. And Jesus wanted his followers to know that it's not just about the amazing benefits that come with following Jesus, but following Jesus also means that there is sacrifice. Times in our life when following Jesus costs us. And sometimes forsaking comfort for that which comes first, forsaking comfort for that which we value more, forsaking comfort for Jesus' sake where we say, God, I'm, I'm not going to live in the most comfortable place that I could live or, or, or choose the comfiest this or choose the comfiest job because, Jesus, I, I'm going to follow you. And sometimes following you, Jesus, means abandoning comfort in seasons of my life. And I know so many of us have followed Jesus in that type of way where you follow Jesus and you haven't taken the easier route or road when you presented with options of hard and easy because sometimes Jesus leads you down that road that's harder and because you love him so much, you followed him with obedience down a harder road where you've given up and you've sacrificed, but you do it because you love him. You just, he just has your heart. And you're saying, Jesus, I don't want what's easy. I want what's right. I want what's holy. I want what's you. And if you're going to lead me down a path like that, Jesus, then I want that. That's the type of follower Jesus is looking for. And sometimes following Jesus means that Jesus leads us to discomfort in being disliked by people. Ever had that? Just following Jesus simply because you're a follower of Jesus. People just don't. They don't want, they don't want anybody around you. They don't like you. They have problems with you. Sometimes following Jesus brings discomfort in just sharing our faith with people that we don't know. And he calls us to share this good news and it's like, ha, oh, it's difficult and socially awkward and you don't know what they believe and that's, that's uncomfortable, but he calls us to it. Following Jesus, he calls us to the discomfort of taking steps of obedience. Sometimes going down that path, doing that thing, having that conversation with that person that you, you just, you just, you don't want to do it. And yet he's like, I, I want you to do it. And you're like, ah, God, like, that's tough. Or forgiveness. And we can keep going on and on about the different things that God has called us to in living this life that sometimes are just uncomfortable. I think about a story not too long ago where I was getting my hair cut in a barber shop, and I felt God strongly tell me, strongly tell me that I was to pay for the guy across from me that was getting his hair cut that I was supposed to pay for him. A room full of people, all getting their hair cut by different barbers. I don't know anybody other than my barber. And God just plans to see, Josiah, I want you to pay for his haircut. And maybe for you, that sounds like, oh, it's a small thing, I would have did it. But for me, I wrestled with it. It was uncomfortable. I don't know this guy, and there's a room full of people. And what if he uh, feels weird about it, or you know, denies it, or he gets angry at me, or takes it the wrong way? Or, and so I, you know, you start running through all these things in your head. God, no, are, are you sure, God? Did you really say it? And God just kept pressing. I want you to do it. I want you to do it. And so the haircut was finished, and I, I got up, and I looked at the guy, almost kind of took a step towards him, and then took another step and walked right out the door. And I sat in the car, 
And I was no more than a block away, and I felt this strong conviction of the Spirit of God. I felt God convict me, Josiah, you knew exactly what I called you to do. I'm like, I know. I called you to that life of discomfort. I called you, Josiah, to a life where you do things that stretch you. I called you to a life where you do things that I call you to do, even if you don't want to do it, Josiah, and it stretches, it's uncomfortable, and it's hard, but that's what following me is, Josiah, and you, you, you pray in other seasons, use me, God, and, and, and mobilize me, and, and, and use me for great things, but when I call you just as a small thing in the privacy of a, a barbershop, you're too afraid to do it. And I just felt that, and I was, felt so convicted, and I just, right there, I called my barber, and I said, hey, I, I said, hey, can you, can you pay for the guy for a cross? I'll send you double the payment for mine and his. And, just, and, and there was a sense of relief. But, but I just, for that story, I just think that's how God works, right? Right in the middle of our everyday life, he enters in and he calls us to do things that are just not comfortable. They're stretching. But he does it because he loves us and he wants to use us. He wants to shine his light through our life and allow his love to be transferred through our story to other people. And sometimes we don't know. I don't know what that encounter would have been with that man because I didn't take it that step right when God called me to. But that's the life that he's looking for his followers. He wants us to be fully committed and have unreserved sacrifice. The second thing that Jesus is looking for from fully committed followers ready to be used for the harvest is he's looking for undivided devotion. Listen to verse 59. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Jesus here is raising the bar to follow him. He's saying, hey, listen, if you're going to follow me, you need to have undivided devotion to me. Now, what's interesting here that you don't get on the face value of the text, but most theologians believe that even though the man said, let me go bury my father, that his father was actually not dead yet. Now, the reason they think that is because in Jewish culture, uh, they don't embalm the body, so when his dad would have died, they would have immediately put his dad uh, and uh, buried his dad in the grave. And so the fact that he's on the road with Jesus shows us that the dad probably wasn't dead at that time yet. And so what the man was actually asking is, hey, Jesus, can you allow me to go back to my sick and dying dad and take care of him until the time that he passes? Now, this request seems really normal, good. Like, hey, Jesus, this guy wants to follow you. His heart's there. He just has some life circumstances that haven't, you know, cleared up. And once those are through, then he'll come and follow you. But Jesus' response to him is one that he's not pleased with it, that going back and burying this man's dad is not right. Jesus knew that this man going back meant it was an indefinite period of time that his dad could live on and on and drag on and on. And this disciple that was this follower that's willing to follow him maybe years and years and years before him stepping up to do what Jesus had called him to. See, this man was ready to fully, he wanted to fully commit to Jesus. But here's what's interesting. He, he said, just, but just not yet. Jesus, I want to follow you, but, but just, just not right now. 
Jesus, I want to give everything for your kingdom, but just this isn't like the best season, Jesus. Later, next, in the future, tomorrow. And a lot of us, and a lot of times, we say the exact same thing that he says. He says, I, I will follow you, Jesus, but first let me. I've heard that a lot of times. Love Jesus. We just get caught up with things. Oh, I'm, I'm going to live for Jesus, but first let me let my kids graduate from school. Oh, I'm going to follow Jesus, but first let me retire from my job. Oh, I, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to give all. I'm going to serve him. I'm going to go do this. But first, let me finish my career or build my business. And sometimes we get so preoccupied with building our own empire that we forget to build his kingdom. And Jesus is looking for that undivided devotion. He knows that there's a bunch of important things in his life. But Jesus didn't want this man to follow him in the future. He wanted him to be fully committed now. I wonder if you've ever wrestled with that. Or maybe God's been working on it through the fast. Or you, you look at some date, sometime, some season in the future, and you said, at that point, in that moment, in that season, that's when I'm really going to live for Jesus. At that time, the TBD, I, that's when I'm really going to give it all. I'm going to commit. I'm going to be fully. Right now, you know, I, I got this and that. But in the future, that's when I'm really. And I wonder if Jesus came to you and had that one-on-one -on -one conversation. He said, Jesus, I want to follow you. But first, let me. And he would say, son, daughter, follower of mine. He said, listen, not tomorrow. Not next year. Not in 10 years. Not when the kids graduate or when you retire. But now, I'm asking you to fully commit yourself to me. In Jewish culture, the son's most important responsibility was burying the dad, and the family's responsibility was precedent over everything else. And yet Jesus was saying, hey, I'm, I'm setting a new standard. There's other things in your life that are super important, but this man wasn't just choosing between two good things. He was choosing between good and what's best. Hey, staying around to take care of a sick dad, sick dad was a really good thing. But Jesus said, hey, that's good, but this is best. And I'm calling you, even when it's hard, to do what's best. I'm, I'm calling you to fully commit today, this season, this year. What would it look like if 2024, not 20 years down or when you're done in your 20s or when the kids, what, what would it look like? In your and my life, if we really got serious and said, Jesus, I want to commit everything to you, that not sometime in the future that I don't know that I'm promised, but Jesus, I want to commit everything right now because Jesus, you gave everything for me. You went to the cross and gave it all for me. While I was still a sinner. You died for me. And the third thing that a fully committed follower of Jesus needs to have is unwavering commitment. Listen to how the story finishes in verse 61. The third follower, still another one said, I will follow you, Lord, but first, there's that language again, but first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now, this language here, looking back, rendered, on the, rendered in the Greek here, is the idea of, literally, the language is the things behind, the things behind us. And Jesus is saying, hey, listen, if you're going to be fit to 
follow me. You're gonna be fully committed to me. You're, you're gonna be mind, body, all of yourself in. Then he gives us this picture of someone that, a worker that's in the, in the farm holding a plow. And in those days when they were plowing, they would keep their eye fixed on something in front of them so that when they were plowing and pushing and the animals pulling, that they could keep that line really straight because they're focused on some fixed point in front of them. But if someone, while they were plowing, started to look back and got distracted by things that were behind them and not in front of them, they they get preoccupied, get distracted. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's something they just, they saw and that you look back, then they would be taken, they wouldn't be able to get that straight line and effectively do the work that was in front of them. It's exactly what Jesus is saying with our faith. He's saying if we're trying to do the work that God's called us to, we're trying to see a great harvest, we're trying to pray, we're trying to raise up a generation to live for Jesus with everything. If we're really gonna be committed to this, then we cannot look back to those things that are behind us. And there's so many things that can be behind us. It could be friends, it could be old habits, it could be old thinking or lies that are behind us that could even be old dreams that, that you, you left behind in another season to follow Jesus. But every once in a while, you, you look back at that old dream. You, you look back at that old comfort. You look back at that old friendship and think, maybe I should go back to that. But let me tell you, friend, Jesus is saying in 2024, don't look back anymore. You need to leave some of those things in the past in the past. You need to stop glancing every once in a while because when you glance, you go off the path. You're not able to effectively serve Jesus the way that he's called you to when you look back to the old things. God has called you to move forward. And if you and I are gonna move forward into the great future that he's called us to, we need to make sure that our eyes are fixed on King Jesus and his glory before us. That we be fixed on him and that we're, while we're serving him faithfully in the hard work and trying to see a harvest, that we wouldn't look back to those things of comfort, that we wouldn't look back to those old seasons, that we wouldn't look back to those old things that hold us back. We would say, Jesus, I want to make a difference with my life. I want to love you with everything that I am. And so I will leave those things behind if they're holding me back from living for living for you with everything I have. Jesus wanted full commitment, fully committed to Jesus means leaving things behind. You cannot live fully committed to Jesus if you're still holding on to those things. You can't live fully committed if you're still looking back to those old things and thinking, what would my life be with that? What would it be if that? I could still go, man, this is hard. Living for Jesus is hard. What if I just go back to that old, whatever it is? We all have those things. But but what would it look like, church, if we got serious this year and said, Lord, I'm I'm done looking back at the things behind. I'm gonna press forward and keep my eyes on you. Can I have you stand with me? And worship team, you can come forward to the stage and start playing softly. Church, I'm calling us to not just be an average, love Jesus a little bit, make a little bit of an impact type of church. I'm calling us to defy the odds. We can't do it with just a few of us giving our all. It won't happen. 
Chicago won't change if just a few of us say, I'm in. No, no, it, it would require all of us to say, Jesus, I'm not gonna look back. I'm not gonna sit down. I'm gonna make a difference for your kingdom, Jesus. And, and making a difference for your kingdom means I'm fully committed. I'm bought in. I'm not waiting for some time in the future when I'm really gonna give it all to you, Jesus. I'm all in. I am all hands on deck. When they're ringing the bell, I am there to answer because Jesus, I am yours. And all hands on deck, as we focus on this, really focuses on key areas, five key areas. One, it's harvest hands. Are your hands being used to share the good news of Jesus? Evangelism. It's being fully committed in the air of praying hands. Are you using your prayers, are you pressing in to say, Jesus, we cannot do it with all the resources or wisdom or experience. We need you, Jesus, to open the eyes of the blind. Are, are you fully committed the way that he's called you to with serving hands? Are you, are you serving other people around you in a way where you're just, you're, you're, whether it's you're, you're, you're serving on a Sunday or your food or this, whatever way God's, are you using your gifts where you can say, these hands are making a difference for Jesus? Do you have the hands of generosity where whatever God's given you, you're, you're blessing other people, saying, God, you've, you've blessed me with so much, God. I, how, we want to be a church that's known for our, not just generosity, but radical generosity to people who need it, who could never repay us. We want to be a church that says, Jesus, we want to go far and fast, and so we will give what is ours. We see in Acts this radical commitment. How are your hands a generosity? And being fully committed as a church means joining hands. It's this picture of being connected in community with other people that, you know, we can't do the work if we're not grown and encouraged and challenged spiritually by other people that we love and that love us too. And I'm calling our church to rise up and be a church that steps into a unique time. I mean, this doesn't happen all the time, but there's a unique God season that we're in. I'm ringing the bell to say, hey, I, I, we, we can't do it alone. I can't do it alone. But together, what could happen if we rise up as a church, and it's not a few of us, but the few becomes the many, how great of a harvest could we see? How great would his glory be and how much glory would he get if the church in Chicago rose up in an unprecedented way and said, today we will be fully committed, Jesus, we're not living for some date or time in the future, but we are living now fully committed for you. Because those hands that we commit and we give to King Jesus, let me tell you, he first gave his hands for us. Those hands were pierced for us, and he gave it all so that we could be free. Church, I want you to pray with me. Would you raise your hands up? as we're committing, fully committed to Jesus. Lord Jesus, we commit, use these hands, use these hands, these harvest hands, God, to share the good news. God, use these hands to pray like we haven't prayed in a long time, God, that we would be a church that would be known for our private prayer meetings and pressing in, hungry for you, Jesus, stir this church, God. Father, we pray that our hands and that we have raised all across Chicagoland area would be hands that would serve like the one who came to pay the ransom. We pray our hands would, would be like yours, Jesus, washing the feet of other people. 
Jesus, we pray our hands would not be caught in the American greed and, and stinginess that we see so often in our culture, but we would be a people, God, that would be generous and give all that we have for your glory and your kingdom, God, that we would be a church that blesses and that blessing would bless and bless, Lord. Let our hands be giving hands. And Lord, we pray out of humility, Lord, let us join hands. We can't do this alone. We need to be involved in community and life groups, God, together, united, because, God, the enemy is out to kill, seek. He's out to kill and destroy and steal our lives. He's out to devour. But when we're united, when we're two or more, God, things start to change. And so we commit our lives to you, King Jesus, and ask that you would bring us to be a church that has all hands on deck, ready for the harvest that's just around the corner. We pray all of this to the one that we live for. In your name, Jesus. Amen. God bless you, church.